0: Well, good morning. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. I haven't got to preach here in 15 years, so i got a lot to make up for. <laughs> We're going to get right into the text. I wish I could, like Jude say, I'd like to talk and reminisce about all the wonderful times here and the blessings that we've had here and all the excitement and joy that was found here with you guys, the saints over the years. but. Rather, this morning, we need to encourage one another to contend for the faith, the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all, because that's really what it's about. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, right? Acts chapter 12, I'm going to be reading out of the Legacy Standard Version. If you're not familiar with that, I encourage you to check it out. We'll actually be looking at the text through my NIV, however, but we're going to be reading out of the Legacy Standard Version. Can you bring that up? This is way high tech for me click right or left aha all right here we go follow along with me now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to harm them and he had James the brother of John put to death with a sword and when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter also now it was during the days of unleavened bread when he had seized him He put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Now, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Rise up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap the garment around yourself and follow me. And when he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know, That what was being done by the angel was real, but was thinking he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said... Now, truly, I know that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her joy, she did not open the gate. But she ran in and reported that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him and were astounded. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he recounted to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and he said, report these things to James and the brothers. And then he left, and he went to another place. Now, when the day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And when Herod had searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now, he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord, they came to him, and having won over Blassus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace, because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel and sitting on the judgment seat, began delivering an address to them. And the assembly kept crying out, the voice of, Of a God and not of a man. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, fulfilling their ministry, taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would teach us by your Spirit now, illumine the scriptures. Make them known to our heart, to our mind. Change us from the inside out. You promise us that our faith will be strengthened as we hear your word. and We want to be changed. We don't want to continue down the path of destruction. We don't want to be caught up with the world and the the love of most growing cold, Lord, especially in these days. Cause us to stand firm to the end, to live a life worthy of the calling that you've called us to. And we know that you're going to do that work because you're an awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. If any of you are convicted, moved, whatever you want to call it today by the passage of Scripture I'm reading, know that this was the sermon I preached two Sundays ago at home on Lummi Island. This is a result of our time studying, first off, during the time of COVID, the the wonderful gospel of Luke. We went through that during COVID, and now, obviously, it leads to the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, and we're continuing our study through this amazing journey that God has brought us on through His Son, Christ Jesus. You and I, when we look at the book of Acts, have to be reminded of a couple things. One, it's a long period of time... That this occurs over. This isn't instantaneous. I know today we want change and we want it now, right? Nobody has patience anymore. What's patience? We don't want that. We want what we want when we want it we got to understand that in the book of Acts, the early church and the things that happened there, it took a long time. Matter of fact, today we're 14 years now in to the organization of the church by Christ himself, his establishment, and his command for them to go and do something. Do you remember what God, through his son, commanded the church to do? Was it to hang out in Jerusalem and have a big group hug? No, it was to go into the world and do what? Preach the gospel, right? Talk about Jesus. And they're all like, nah, We'd rather hang out. What did he use to get their attention? Trials, tribulations, persecution, sometimes exaltation. We're going to read about a contrasting group of people today. One that wants to do things according to the flesh, according to the world, according to the ways that everyone does around us, and then another group of people that have submitted themselves willingly to God who have decided that fighting against God is probably not a good idea. Anybody anybody have any idea why it's not a good idea to fight with God? (laughs) He fights back, and he wins, right? Herod, oh man, we'll talk about him. But anyways, he's this guy that, that wants political power. He wants the position, he wants the prestige, he wants the acknowledgement of people, and he's part of a family legacy that continues to think that they're going to achieve something through the arm of flesh we know scripture tells us in the old testament anybody who trusts in the arm of flesh will be what cursed right bad thing to do trust in yourself trust in other men that's going to lead down a path of well not good things we don't trust even ourselves we've got to trust in the word of god Trust what he promises. And we see a couple of guys here that are going through some amazing things, right? We've got James on the one hand who gets put to death, gets beheaded, right? He's a believer. Is that the best thing that could happen to you and I? To live as Christ, to die is gain, right? So between the two people here that we read about, The miraculous uh, removal of Peter from the prison in a miraculous way. But what about James? I mean, it's just a small passage there, right? Herod kills him, cuts off his head. We don't hear about him so much. We focus more on Peter and this idea. That's the kind of prayer I want. I want everybody to pray that I'll be delivered, that I'll be able to uh, get out of prison and keep on going on, right? I'd much rather be James. I mean, how many of you are tired of your bodies? You're all getting old, by the way. I resemble that remark. I used to mock Ron, you know, about glasses. Not anymore. Our bodies are falling apart. People suck. Uh, I mean, just, we live in a world full of violence and nastiness. Anybody notice besides me there seems to be an uprising and impatience and rudeness and nastiness amongst people? Far be it from us as saints, right? hope so. You and I are called to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. It's a life that's exemplified by both James and Peter in this particular passage. So let's go back and let's take a look at some of these details because it's important that you and I understand what the text says and what it means. God will give you the application in your life. I don't need to do that. God will lead you and guide you through His Spirit into all truth but there are some things that we definitely need to make note of that we need to follow the example of those who have gone before us. So, I'm in the wrong book. Acts chapter 12, back at verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belong to the church. What is the church? The ecclesia, the called out ones, right? What is another Word used to describe the church in the New Testament. Matter of fact, it's used more than any other word in the New Testament. It's not thought of as a good word today. It's the Greek word doulos. You remember that one out of Philippians? Remember the English translation, slave. So you're my fellow slaves. I'm a slave along with you, saint slaves, slaves to saints. However you want to say it, it's the most Popular name used in the New Testament to describe you and I, slaves. Well, what are we slaves of? we well, either slaves of righteousness or we're slaves of the flesh and the devil, right? God's called us to be slaves to what? To Him. We're His, we're owned by Him. How many of you believe that God directs your steps? Do you? Today, we're going to see two contrasting gentlemen. One who definitely had prayer. He wasn't alone in getting prayer. I mean, Peter got the answered prayer from a human perspective, but James got the best answer to prayer. He got to go home, lose his head. Blessed are we when we are persecuted, when we're reviled for His name's sake. Right? Does Jesus promise you a wonderful life now, blessings abounding, everything good and marvelous? Just the opposite. He says, as a slave of His. You're guaranteed to suffer. You're guaranteed to have people be nasty to you. You're, you're promised that you're going to have what they call tribulation, right? What men do to other men. You'll have trials. James said, consider it pure joy. What? God is not a very good salesman when it comes to inviting you into his family, at least from an outward perspective, right? At least from a worldly perspective. When I'm talking to people about the Lord... I try to be right up front with them. I say, if you become a Christian, your life's going to become more miserable, more difficult than it's ever been before. It's going to be harder than you ever could imagine because now God's called you to die to yourself, pick up your cross, follow him, right, to live a life that is totally radically different than what the world lives. The world reacts the way that Herod does. The world reacts the way that the religionist does, right? Oh, I wish I had time to expound on so much of this, but understand that the that religion that men make up, that they practice, that they exercise, will always lead to disunity, will always lead to pain and suffering, and ultimately, when given full reign, will lead to death because they're going to put to death anybody that they think is doing something contrary to the faith that they have developed, that they've made, their religion, right? let me ask you something. Does God love religion? He hates it. He hates religionists. There is kind of one religion that he accepts as pure and faultless, right, according to James, to keep a tight rein on your tongue, to look out for other people's needs, and to not allow yourself to be polluted by the world. How do you think religious people do with those things? Do they keep a tight rein on your tongue? I've been cussed out by quote-unquote Christians better than any secular person I've ever been cussed out by. They take care of orphans and widows. Well, they sure give lip service to it. But when the rubber meets the road, they're not there doing the nasty jobs. They're not there taking care of those people that are in need. The religionist is all about self. Herod has a Jewish background. He knows very well the commandments of God. He's very familiar with judaism himself being partially jew and he is now in this position of trying to attain human adoration human love human grandization of his position they want he wants them to look at him as a god man they even proclaim right before his death hey he speaks as a god not as man god has a way of humbling us doesn't he time and time again. So this Herod is the grand-nephew of Herod the Great. He is now the lineage of someone who has for years persecuted the things of God, the church. Now Herod is continuing this as someone who wants to make a spectacle of those that he believes are going to keep him from getting in the position that he wants he's already killed James he's already put him to death and notice that he looked for the approval of the crowd he wanted to see how they were going to react how is it that they've received this this thing that I've done wielding the power of the flesh wielding the power that's been given to me And this response from the people, remember, these are all religious people. These are all people who have the commandments of God that know them inside and out. Any any good Jewish person knows the Bible better than you and I, guaranteed, and they knew what God's word said, yet they were bloodthirsty, weren't they? They wanted to see these guys put to death. Here are two people that are the pillars of the church. God has raised them up for this purpose, and He's told them up front what it's going to be like. In the book of Matthew, Jesus, after James, along with His brother John, get their mother to go and do their dirty work for them, ask her to go and ask for these special seats of prominence. They were thinking in a worldly thought, right? I want to sit on the right or the left hand of God the Father. I want this position of power, and Jesus says, "Well, well, not mine to grant." And and uh, all the other apostles, the disciples around, were indignant with them. The scripture says, "Like, how dare you ask something like that?" And Jesus rebukes them, says, "Listen, you are not to be like the world. You're to be different. How you conduct yourselves, how you handle situations. If you're in a position of power, you have to understand that you're going to be the greatest servant or the best translation is the greatest slave of everybody else we exist as slaves to one another we're not here for our own we're here for one another right we're here to build others up to encourage them to spur them on toward love and good deeds it's not about us and james and peter they understood this later on but it took some pain and suffering to get to this point to where james willingly knowingly, preaching the gospel, understood that he was endangering his life at this time. Peter as well. And in the one hand, God exalts him, takes him home. In the other hand, he says, Peter, I still got work for you to do. You're not going to die yet, even though Herod wants to do that. Verse 3, when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Interesting that People know how to use and manipulate systems and the things of this world. Herod understood that this was an important time for the practicing Jew and that during this time, everybody would be gathered, everybody would be around. And knowing that he would have a huge audience, seeing that it pleased everybody to kill James, hey, I'm really going to capitalize on this. I'm going to make sure this is a really big spectacle, but I'm not going to do it until after their religious festival goes on, the, the festivals that God hates according to his own word, right? He says, I have no desire. Look in Isaiah. I have no desire for your, for your festivals, for your sacrifices. They're meaningless. And this is what human nature always does, right? Tends towards the flesh, towards the, the worldly ways. And this is exactly what we see. Even in the early church. Now, it's been 14 years. You ever wonder what they were doing during these 14 years? I mean, we look at the book of Acts and we think this is all happening simultaneously. That's really fast. Well, I guarantee you they're doing the same thing that you and I are doing here today. Every single day we get up and we choose to pick up our cross and follow him. Every day, through the mundane things, they had to make a choice. Am I going to live for the Lord today or am I going to live for the flesh today? Who am I going to please today? People or the Lord? James understood this. Peter understood this. This is what they were called to do. We as saints, we understand this. The world looks at ways of manipulating and using things to their own ends, to their own means. We see it all around us. How many of you were frustrated during the time of COVID from the different messages we got from different people? Incredible, right? I'm a licensed healthcare professional in Washington State. I'm an EMT with our fire department on Lummi Island. I remember being down here wanting to join the fire department. They had just gotten rid of all volunteers. God had a different plan. He wanted me to wait. But through all of the the time of COVID, so frustrating dealing with with humans, (laughs) with people in charge, right? They think they know what they're doing. And there's so many different perspectives and so much fighting and infighting and things going wrong. And God kept on reminding me, why am I here? I want to ask you this morning, why are you here? What is the purpose of your existence? If it's understood like James did, if it's understood like Peter did, then you understand that you're here for one purpose and one purpose only, and it's to bring glory to God. That's why you exist. How are you doing at it? 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Do you not know that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Something I'm to do every day, something you're to do every day is examine yourself, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Are you walking according to the Spirit or according to the flesh? What are the things that are coming out of your mouth? Is it what goes in you that defiles you or is it what comes out of you that defiles you? comes out, right? Get God's Word in, then the things that are going to come out aren't going to stand a chance of defiling you, because you're going to have the Word of God in your heart, in your mind, and that's what you're going to speak forth. During this period of time, understand that the book of Galatians, the book of James are, are being written, they're coming into uh, perspective here. The early church is receiving letters, being encouraged to press on, to continue on, to contend for the faith. In spite of the tremendous difficulties that they were going through, the whole beginning of Acts is a study in a church that's getting beat up, that's getting persecuted, that's going through hard times, and every day they get up, and every day they press on, forgetting what's behind and pressing on towards the goal to which they've been called, right? Which we all have been. Up on Lummi Island, when I first got there 15 years ago, I made a big mistake. I'm so excited that I, not only do I get to preach today, I get to participate in communion with you guys. It's been a long time, so what a wonderful deal that is. My first communion on Lummy Island led to losing half the church. Some of you are not surprised by that, I know. Uh, when we preach the word, it's going to be divisive. Now, I know we're not to be a divisive people, but when you preach God's word, It is a divisive matter because the world and the flesh and the religionists hate what you're preaching. They don't like the idea of grace and mercy. Well, they talk about it. They give it lip service, but in reality, it's not there, right? You blow it once, that's it. No three strikes, you're out. It's one strike, you're done. Written off. God has called us to be different, to be patient with one another, right? Through that experience of losing half the congregation when I first got there. God reminded me of the teachings that I received here, the encouragement I received from you guys, the folks at Camino Chapel, the church that I was saved at. All of these things are a legacy of, of what God has been doing in my life. They, they all taught me what I needed to do. And this morning, I want to remind you of what it is you do. You're here to glorify God. You're here to preach the word. You're here to love one another, right? Right? And you guys are excellent at it. I got to tell you, we appreciate the, the quilt that we received from you guys when we left. It still hangs on our wall in our house. And every day, there's not a day that goes by that I don't look up and look at one of the squares and one of the mockeries of me or whatever and, and enjoy the love that I received from you guys. But there were not only wonderful, super times down here. There were some really hard times when I was here as well, difficult times. Some of it because I caused those problems right examine yourselves test yourselves thank you for your patience with me over those years i encourage you to be patient with one another god has called us to understand that it's not about religious festivals it's not about this program that program whatever the religionist gets caught up in that the religionist says i have to have it this way it's got to be this it's got to be that the saint says well where does the spirit lead us What does the Scripture say clearly and plainly? What am I to do? How am I to react? Did we see from the text here how they reacted when they were either put to death or imprisoned? Well, we're not given much about James, right? James, it just says, they beheaded him. But I guarantee you his demeanor during that time, the way that he conducted himself, was in a manner worthy of the calling that he had received. Revelation talks about the saints in the end days not loving their lives so much as to shrink from death. How about you? Are you willing to stand your ground on God's word? And if so, being put to death by the religionists, is that going to be okay with you? It's coming, folks. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. Maybe from the heathen, more likely from the religionists. As seen here by Herod. Peter we're given a little more information about. He's got 16 guards over him, 16 men watching over this one guy. You would think he was really powerful, a force to be reckoned with, right? Here he is, this guy, that all he is doing is preaching love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He's talking about all the things that the Spirit gives us as believers, right? He's telling people the great news that they don't have to go to hell, that they can be rescued. I mean, he's not saying anything bad. It's all good. He's not demanding anything of anyone. He's serving them, he's giving them stuff, he's he's blessing them when they curse him, right? What a radical person he is. He needs to be put to death. Do you think he was worried? Do you think he cared? Verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial. What a mock trial that would be, huh? Hey, you're bad. I'm going to put you to death. That's all it was about. What was Peter doing? (laughs) Is that the greatest thing ever? How many of you would be sleeping knowing that you had your death impending the next morning? Man, what a wonderful place to be. To go, ha-ha, I'm out. I get to go home tomorrow to live as Christ, to die as gain. That was his mindset. That was his attitude. That was his, his heart's desire. This was the greatest thing ever that could happen to him. To be put to death, to be martyred for the name of Christ, how wonderful that would be. God had a different plan, though. How many times has God thwart your plans? The plans of men's hearts are plentiful, but it's the Lord's will that prevails, right? God is always at work. We sang that song, God is good. God is good all the time, right? I just can't believe the promises that God gives us, the things that He tells us that are going to happen, both from a biblical perspective, positive things, and from a biblical perspective, those negative things that are going to happen. I mean, He promises persecution. He promises trials. Why are we surprised when it happens? He promises answered prayer, right? The good stuff. We didn't always answer according to our will. Well, matter of fact, He never answers according to our will, unless our will is His will, right? Because we're promised if we ask anything according to His will, we're going to have what we ask of Him. But if we ask according to our will, not going to happen. Good thing, right? How many times has God spared you from answering your prayer? I know, I remember some of your stories. So we see Peter sound asleep, and a messenger comes. That's what that word angel means, if you remember. The angel comes and pokes him in the side. Hey, wake up. All of us can identify with this this peaceful rest that we can have, knowing that nothing can touch us, nothing can harm us. Right? Does that give you a good night's sleep? No worries. I mean, bring it on. Any trial, any tribulation, I'm not worried. God's for me. Nothing can be against me. And if it is in this world, I'm to consider it pure joy. Cool. I get to grow. I get to mature here. Peter's sound asleep. He needs to be woken up. God's about to do something. He never would have imagined this was going to happen. I mean, it was, it was a done deal. He knew he was going to his death. There was no way around it. From a worldly perspective, there is absolutely nothing you can do when the government comes against you. Right? But God that giant word in the Bible, but all the time has a different plan for those that he's called, those that he loves. And he's doing that work continually, even to this day. And and here Peter now is poked in the side by the angel, said, get up, I want you to gird your loins. You ever wonder what that's about? Remember, men used to wear dresses back then. And, uh, they went down to their feet, and you couldn't get around very easily wearing these things. And any time that they would get involved in an athletic event or doing some hard work, they'd have to pull up the, the hem of their dress and, and, and you know, tie it up around their waist so it wouldn't get, get in the way, right? And so there was something to, to be done. God had called him to go and preach the Word, to go serve and love people, to be a blessing to others, to be their slaves He didn't have time to sit in prison. And the saints now have been praying like mad that he'd be rescued, that he'd be set free. They've already witnessed the death of the first apostolic martyr, James. The first one to be put to death as an apostle. And they recognized that there was no escape in this world, that their only hope was in Christ. How many of us come to that place oftentimes where there's absolutely no other hope than to pray? You know, that's the most powerful thing we can do, I want to remind you. It is the most powerful and effective tool we have in our soul. I've got some weird people on Lummi Island, and the Lummi Islanders know I call them that all the time, so if any are listening this morning, just know, you know, I love you. Uh, They're weird, though. There's some weird stuff going on, and there are people... That are in this constant state of a downward spiral. I don't know how they can keep going down, and it's a revolving door of goofiness and stupidity. And and for whatever reason, uh, I always get caught up with these people. I don't know how that works either. And then inevitably, I get a phone call from someone on island about this person. And after their eloquent speech to me of what all the problems are and that, I ask, well, why are you calling me about this? Well don't they go to your church? No. They want me to fix it. And one thing I've learned is there's no fixing people. I can't fix myself. There's no hope of me accomplishing anything in this world. I'm powerless to do so. Here's Peter, merely a man, preaching a simple gospel, a simple message. Repent. Turn from your sin. Believe. Believe. On the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. It's the same message that's echoed throughout the book of Acts, right? Time and time again, we hear this story. What must we do to be saved? The resounding answer is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our only hope, it's our only salvation, it's our only way of escape. It's the only way of dealing with all the nuttiness that's in this world, including in ourselves. Peter is set free, and the angel wakes him up, says, we got work to do. we got to get out of here. And as Peter is kind of in that sleepy stupor, thinking he's seeing a vision, I mean, what a wild time, right? How many of you have gone through some times that you just look back now and go, I had no idea it was God doing that, but, well, I sure see it clearly now. We see he comes to that realization. We see that he, he recognizes, you know what, this is the hand of God. This is really happening. I can't believe it, but it's really, really happening. The fervent prayers of the saints are powerful and effective, right? Now, it's interesting that this this word that's used in the Greek, I don't remember the word itself, I just remember what it means. This idea of these folks coming together and fervently praying for Peter. It, It was the same prayer that they made for James, just a different outcome, right? But this word gives us this idea of stretching, of being uh, laboring and, and stretching the muscle, of really working it. This idea of really working our prayers, really. Spending time diligently, continually crying out to God. And, and God has a way of bringing us to that point. Because oftentimes, if we're doing it in the power of the flesh and our own strength, we forget to pray and ask God to lead and guide, right? And then he puts a little adversity and we go, well, yeah, I got I to come to God. We're to continually be in prayer, continually be in communication with him. And if you need help with that, just ask God. Will he give you a desire to pray more if you ask for it? Yeah, because you're asking him according to his will, right? Thessalonians tells us, pray continually. And he says, I don't do that. All right, just ask God. He'll help you to pray continually. It may not be a fun experience, guarantee you. He's going to put trials and tribulations in your life to make you pray more. But that's a wonderful thing. That's the most desired outcome that you could have, is that God works in your life and changes you from the inside out, as he's done Peter, as he has done James. I want to remind you a little bit about James. James and his brother John, pretty bold fellas. Do you remember what Jesus called them? Yeah. And these guys were, you know, gung-ho. They were uh, very zealous, not with all the knowledge that they needed at times. Because remember that, that in particular town that r- didn't receive the words of Jesus? Do you remember what they wanted to do? Jesus, let's wipe them out. Let's call out judgment on them. Right? Jesus like, ay, ay, ay. you guys, I've been with you this long and you don't recognize that that's not what I'm like. God takes no delight in the destruction of the ungodly, right? How about you? Do you take the delight in the destruction of people? I'm amazed today at how much venom pours out of those that call on the name of Christ and they want to see people suffer and they want to see people get their just deserts. People cry out for justice today, right? If you're a believer, don't ever cry out for justice. You don't want it, you want mercy. You want grace. Isn't it nice when people are merciful toward you? Boy, did I get a lot of mercy here. Isn't it nice when we have grace in our life, that unmerited favor? So many people, so many of you have done that in my life. And, and the saints up on Lummy Island, the slaves up there, they're the same way. Saints everywhere are like that, right? So encouraging to see the families that have come out of Machias serving in so many different places. And their ministries that they have there, the service that they are to the saints there. And it's all based on the same commonality that we all share. A relationship with the living God, with Jesus Christ himself, who's called us and and he's conforming us to the image of his son daily, right? Look forward to that conforming process. It's not always pleasant. It's not always easy. But boy, does it bring about great rewards, doesn't it? so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that's what God's doing in His church. Here in the book of Acts, we see this forming, this continual process of, of molding them and getting their attention. He puts very harsh things in their way to have to deal with it, to learn, to trust in Him and Him alone for the outcome that God desires. What is the outcome you desire for everything? Is it glory to God, that everything works out according to His plan? How did Jesus end His prayers? God, my will be done. Not mine, but yours, right? How do you end your prayers? Get in the habit of God, not my will, yours be done. Because you ever prayed wrong? I already asked that, right? Yeah, the obvious answer is, sure I have. I don't always pray according to His will, because I don't always know his explicit will in a given situation, but I know he knows, and I know that he's good, and that everything that he intends for us is for our good. Where men intend evil, God what? Intends good, right? And he's gonna work it out in our lives. That's exactly what he does here. Isn't it interesting as we read on here, we see the reaction of Peter light comes on, hey, this is really happening. God's working. I see it. I'm experiencing it. Where do we go from here? He he walks in obedience. He heads to a house where all the saints are gathered, where he knows that they're praying, that they've gathered together during this difficult time. They say, we got to commit ourselves to prayer. We got we to gotta spend time seeking God's good, pleasing, and perfect will in everything. And we need to to, to labor in this to stretch it out to make sure that we are doing what god has commanded us to do to pray continually and so they're doing it and he heads to that house he knocks on the door and this rhoda lady here's the door knocking comes here's peter's voice and isn't it funny in her excitement in her joy i gotta go tell the others just leaves the door shut and he's standing there crazy But that's how we are as believers, right? We're overjoyed when we hear the voice of those that we know and that we love and that have proven faithful in our lives. What a joyous thing that is to rejoice with others. And there's a time for that. And there's also a time for mourning, right? There's a time for changing our attitude. We become all things to all men that, what? We may win them to Christ, right? We want to meet people where they're at and be able to have words according to their need. As saints, that's what we're called to. And Rhoda, in her excitement, now runs to the others and gets their attention and says, Hey, Peter's out here. And here here is what my typical reaction is in regards to prayer. No, it can't be. Not possible. I'm a saint. I'm a believer because of what Christ has done in my life. I've prayed for years I've seen answered prayer time and time again, and I still don't believe it when he does it. I'm in California, San Diego, sitting at my sister and brother-in-law's house, beautiful place. I've got Daniel. he's a youth pastor at a Lutheran church down there. They only strike against him, and uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll talk more about that, but Daniel's sitting across from me at this outdoor table and my back's to the sliding glass door and I had no idea that the rest of the family was inside watching the show and of course he wants to marry Emily and so it's grill time and we're going to have a discussion I got to find out where this guy is and what he believes and why he believes it and see what he knows and what he doesn't know and all that kind of stuff and I start in and man every answer is perfect how could a guy this young know theology so well how could he be this well studied this makes no sense to me. And through this whole process, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes of talking. Tammy, maybe you remember. I don't know. It was an hour. Okay. <laughs> well, still not as thorough as I thought I needed to be. But he answered every answer right. And everything he said was spot on. What would your reaction be when somebody says everything right and spot on? Too good to be true, right? Then God slapped me. That said, you've been praying for your daughter since she was born, that God would put a godly man into her life. I'm like, oh, God answers prayer, folks. It may not always be the way that you want it. You may be James in this story. You may be beheaded, but that's really the best thing. And if you look at it from any different perspective, I'd like to introduce you to Jesus. He saved you. He's rescued you. To live as Christ. To die is gain. But self-checkout's not an option, right? God may decide you're Peter in this story, and he's got stuff for you to do. Matter of fact, you're sitting here this morning, he's got stuff for you to do. And that is to love and serve that person sitting next to you. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You are God's slave. He has commanded you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. You are here to glorify him, not yourself. You're not Herod. And if you want to be, the worms are going to have a feast. You will be humbled. But God is a God of mercy, God of grace. And he gives it to us over and above anything we could ever ask or imagine, right? those gathered together finally recognize, yep, it's Peter. What an incredible testimony to fervent prayer, to the answer of it. Rejoicing now with him, knowing that God has work for them to do, the church is strengthened and built up during times of trials and tribulations as we pray and as we hurry up and wait upon the Lord. And that's what we got to do. We got to hurry up and wait upon him because boy, I'm impatient. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, right? All of us are impatient. I'm really bad. I don't want to wait, but we got to wait to see what God's going to do because the picture is not always clear up front, right? But God's direction, his plan for each one of us, it's been laid out, it's clear. He's going to raise you up with his son on that day. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. But that day's not here for you yet. So you have to what? Press on. Continue in this daily struggle. Do the mundane things in a glorifying way to God. Every morning, get up and look forward to what God's going to put in your path, both the, the positive from our perspective and the negative from our perspective. Embrace all of it. When Eric went into the army, they had a slogan because uh, I've never been in boot camp, many of you have been, so you can identify with this idea that it's, it's going to suck when you're in boot camp, right? And they had a slogan, embrace the suck. And I loved that. I thought, oh, I like that. That's really what God's called us to do, right? Embrace the suck. What else are you going to do? James said it this way. Consider it pure joy, brothers, whenever you face trials of any kind. Embrace it. Look forward to it. It's a time of growth and maturation in our lives. We know from the scriptures that Peter goes on to do incredible preaching. We can read the words that he used to encourage the church. And I encourage you, we don't have time to to go through all these passages that that Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, laid down for us. We don't have time to go through the words of of another James, uh, one who is the pillar of the church in Jerusalem, who wrote the book of James, and all of these practical Christian things that we're to do and we're to remember that in everything that we're doing, it's to be done unto the Lord, right? All of our words checked. All of our motives brought before the throne of grace, wanting to be directed by his spirit, and that's what God is going to do. And let, let God avenge, right? Church didn't have to pray for the death of Herod. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that if we take delight in the destruction of the ungodly, God will turn his wrath from them. See, God's not like that. Neither should we be. But God's judgment will come. Whether it be here, swiftly, and now, or later on, it's coming. The good news is we've escaped that wrath that is promised to all who do evil, all workers of iniquity, right? We have escaped it because of what Jesus did for us. This morning, we are going to participate in something that we call communion, the English word, right? Greek word, if you remember, is koinonia, and all of you I know remember that that means a what? A participation. It's something that we do together, it's something that that God has commanded that we do until that day that he comes back to remind us of why we're here, to glorify him, to remind us of, of what he did for us, enabling us to do that, because you're a very select group of people, did you know that? You are uh, uh, very few in this world that you get to be called children of God. Not everyone's children of God. I mean, I know that's a popular heresy today. Everyone is loved by God. No, they're not. Unless you're in Christ, not a place to be. But we as believers, we're in a special place. But it's an inclusive group as well, isn't it? Even though it's very exclusive, only those who are in Christ Jesus are going to be saved and go to heaven but it's inclusive in that how many are invited? Everybody. Anybody got anybody in their life they don't think could ever be saved? Oh man, you have no clue. Just wait to see what God's going to do. Be a person of prayer. God may save them. It's a miraculous thing to see how God works in that way. And this is why we participate in community to remind us of all these things that God has done for us. So I understand that you guys still have people that are going to come up and serve the emblems, right? Why don't you guys come up now? And the idea, obviously, in this idea of serving one another, is, well, we're supposed to demonstrate it as, as we come together to participate together in communion. And if I remember right, pastors here normally would come down and they would serve you guys first. Is that right? Okay. And if I get anything wrong here, please forgive me. It's been a long time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to serve you first. I don't know how this... Is. Go ahead and take that. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to serve you first. Because Remember, these are emblems. This is representing something. And the idea is to be servants to one another, right? Who else we got over here? Now I realize you guys are going to have to set these down, but I want to make sure that we demonstrate it properly. Okay, now if you guys would take the emblems and pass them out to everybody else. And I want to remind you, hold on to these emblems. Go ahead and set your stuff down and and go serve the others. We wait to participate with one another, right? It's not something we go ahead and do ourselves. Matter of fact, Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians is correcting a church who's doing it wrong, who's doing things inappropriately. And he tells them in... Verse 17 of chapter 11, this, he says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Saints, far be it from us that any meeting that we have as believers ever does more harm than good. Some of you have been involved in meetings amongst believers that do more harm than good. How painful that is. And God warns us. He says, that's not the way it should be. We're to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the calling. There's a certain ways that we need to carry ourselves. And and Paul corrects the church and says, you got to make sure that you do it the way that I've commanded you. Because what is proof that we love God? Obedience to what he says to do, right? You have to obey him. Jesus said it. If you love me, you'll do what I command. You'll obey me. It's going to be the evidence of your faith. And we do that by what? Loving one another. John 13, 35, right? By this all men will know you're my disciples if, sometimes it's a big if, you love one another. And so he says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. See, God's going to shift or sift it all out. It's it's going to come out the way that he wants it to. He is going to make a distinction between those who fear God and those who give lip service to it. God is in the business of conforming his kids to his son. And so Paul recognizes this, and he says, When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat, for as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. And he says, Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? They were great at being religionists, weren't they? They were ignoring those in need. They were taking care of themselves, far be it from us, saints, slaves, to conduct ourselves in this type of a manner. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. There's no praise to anyone who conducts themselves in an unworthy manner, in a sinful manner. We have to make sure that we understand that we're all participating in this grace and mercy that God bestows upon us, right? He is so patient with us. Man, I'm glad for that. One of you going to serve me now? Thank you. All right, I think we've done it properly. Everybody's got an emblem, right? We know that these are are not going to save us. We know that these are not going to, and this is what I got in trouble for, this is not literally going to become flesh, and this is not literally going to become blood. They are simply emblems representing something, right? And so you and I need to understand that when we partake of this, we need to do it in a way that isn't in condemnation against ourselves. Notice in verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Thankfully, he explains to us what this unworthy manner is. And it's not about not having sin in your life, because there's not one of us in here that would be qualified to partake in communion if that was the case, right? So he says very clearly in verse 29, For anyone who eats a drink without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. As a slave of God, you are to recognize others. It's not about you. It's about building others up according to their need, blessing them. That brings glory to God. So backing up a little bit, knowing that we don't want to bring judgment on ourselves by eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I want you to note he's going to be crucified and he's still giving thanks. How are we doing in that? Let's partake together. Verse 25, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new promise in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes? Thank you, gentlemen. Please be seated. Paul then tells them this. He says, That is why many of among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. What's he really saying there? They're dead. They're died out of this body. He says, "But if the two biggest words in the Bible rate right together, but if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world." What a promise. Invite discipline in your life. The things that happen to us, the things that we go through when you lose half your congregation your very first week at church, discipline. It's a good thing. We need it. And God is perfect in giving it to us. His hand never misses the target. It's never too high hitting the lower back. It's never too low hitting the legs. It's always right on the right cheek that needs to be hit at the exact amount of force needed to accomplish what He wants to teach you in your life. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. We're in a great place, folks. We don't have to fear the wrath of God, right? Live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So then, my brothers, brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, they should eat at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. For us today, as we participate, we've got to desire God's good and pleasing, perfect will for everyone around us and in our life, right? We've got to be like James and we've got to be like Peter. Whether God decides to keep us here for a while and we're going to rejoice in that, or whether God decides to take us home. Either way, we want God's will to be done in everything, right? That's where we need to be. Let's pray. God, we praise you for sending your son to take our place, to pay a penalty of our sins knowing we don't deserve any mercy or any grace, we only deserve justice, and yet you are so awesome to choose us out of this world, the despised, the rejected things, and to seat us in the heavenly realms, we praise you for that. Cause us to glorify you in everything that we say, everything that we do, and every thought that we have, that you would be honored. And God, that you would work by your spirit and do the miraculous things that you do, just like Peter, being rescued, being set free in a way that the church would never even imagine, being astounded by it, and glorifying you in the end for what you've done and what you're going to do. You are an awesome God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.